0: Chapter six of a Sicilian romance by Anne Radcliffe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six. The castle of Mazzini was still the scene of dissension and misery. The impatience and astonishment of the marquis being daily increased by the lengthened absence of the duke, he dispatched servants to the forest of Marentino to inquire the occasion of this circumstance. They returned with intelligence that neither Julia, the Duke, nor any of his people were there. He therefore concluded that his daughter had fled the cottage upon information of the approach of the Duke, who, he believed, was still engaged in the pursuit. With respect to Ferdinand, who yet pined in sorrow and anxiety in his dungeon, the rigor of the Marquis's conduct was unabated. He apprehended that his son, if liberated, would quickly discover the retreat of Julia, and by his advice and assistance confirm her in disobedience. Ferdinand, in the stillness and solitude of his dungeon, brooded over the late calamity in gloomy ineffectual lamentation. The idea of Hippolytus, of Hippolytus murdered, arose to his imagination in busy intrusion, and subdued the strongest efforts of his fortitude. Julia, too, his beloved sister, Unprotected, unfriended, might even at the moment he lamented her be sinking under sufferings dreadful to humanity. The airy schemes he once formed of future felicity resulting from the union of two persons so justly dear to him, with the gay visions of past happiness, floated upon his fancy, and the lustre that reflected served only to heighten, by contrast, the obscurity and gloom of his present views. He had, however, a new subject of astonishment, which often withdrew his thoughts from their accustomed object, and substituted a sensation less painful, though scarcely less powerful. One night, as he lay ruminating on the past, in melancholy dejection, the stillness of the place was suddenly interrupted by a low and dismal sound. It returned at intervals in hollow sighings, and seemed to come from some person in deep distress— so much did fear operate upon his mind that he was uncertain whether it arose from within or from without he looked around his dungeon and could distinguish no object through the impenetrable darkness as he listened in deep amazement the sound was repeated in moans more hollow terror now occupied his mind and disturbed his reason he started from his posture and determined to be satisfied whether any person beside himself was in the dungeon, groped with arms extended along the walls. The place was empty, but coming to a particular spot, the sound suddenly arose more distinctly to his ear. He called aloud and asked who was there, but received no answer. Soon after all was still, and after listening for some time without hearing the sounds renewed, he laid himself down to sleep on the following day he mentioned to the man who brought him food what he had heard, and inquired concerning the noise. The servant appeared very much terrified, but could give no information that might in the least account for the circumstance, till he mentioned the vicinity of the dungeon to the southern buildings. The dreadful relation formerly given by the Marquis instantly recurred to the mind of Ferdinand, who did not hesitate to believe that the moans he heard came from the restless spirit of the murdered del campo at this conviction horror thrilled his nerves but he remembered his oath and was silent his courage however yielded to the idea of passing another night alone in his prison where if the vengeful spirit of the murdered should appear he might even die of the horror which its appearance would inspire The mind of Ferdinand was highly superior to the general influence of superstition, but in the present instance such strong correlative circumstances appeared, as compelled even incredulity to yield. He had himself heard strange and awful sounds in the forsaken southern buildings. He received from his father a dreadful secret relative to them, a secret in which his honor, nay, even his life, was bound up. His father had also confessed that he had himself there seen appearances, which he could never again remember without horror, and which had occasioned him to quit that part of the castle. All these recollections presented to Ferdinand a chain of evidence too powerful to be resisted, and he could not doubt that the spirit of the dead had for once been permitted to revisit the earth and to call down vengeance on the descendants of the murderer. This conviction occasioned him a degree of horror such as no apprehension of mortal powers could have excited, and he determined, if possible, to prevail on Peter to pass the hours of midnight with him in his dungeon. The strictness of Peter's fidelity yielded to the persuasions of Ferdinand, though no bribe could tempt him to incur the resentment of the Marquis by permitting an escape. Ferdinand passed the day in lingering anxious expectation, and the return of night brought Peter to the dungeon. His kindness exposed him to a danger which he had not foreseen, for, when seated in the dungeon alone with his prisoner, how easily might that prisoner have conquered him, and left him to pay his life to the fury of the Marquis! He was preserved by the humanity of Ferdinand, who instantly perceived his advantage, but disdained to involve an innocent man in destruction, and spurned the suggestion from his mind peter whose friendship was stronger than his courage trembled with apprehension as the hour drew nigh in which the groans had been heard on the preceding night he recounted to ferdinand a variety of terrific circumstances which existed only in the heated imaginations of his fellow servants but which were still admitted by them as facts among the rest he did not omit to mention the light and the figure which had been seen to issue from the south tower on the night of Julia's intended elopement. A circumstance which he embellished with innumerable aggravations of fear and wonder, he concluded with describing the general consternation it had caused, and the consequent behavior of the Marquis, who laughed at the fears of his people, yet condescended to quiet them by a formal review of the buildings whence their terror had originated." He related the adventure of the door which refused to yield, the sounds which arose from within, and the discovery of the fallen roof, but declared that neither he nor any of his fellow-servants believed the noise or the obstruction proceeded from that. "'Because, my lord,' continued he, the door seemed to be held only in one place. And as for the noise, O oh, Lord, I never shall forget what a noise it was.' it was a thousand times louder than what any stones could make. Ferdinand listened to this narrative in silent wonder, wonder not occasioned by the adventure described, but by the hardihood and rashness of the Marquis, who had thus exposed to the inspection of his people that dreadful spot which he knew from experience to be the haunt of the injured spirit, a spot which he had hitherto scrupulously concealed from human eye and human curiosity and which, for so many years, he had not dared even himself to enter. Peter went on, but was presently interrupted by a hollow moan which seemed to come from beneath the ground. Blessed Virgin! exclaimed he. Ferdinand listened in awful expectation. A groan longer and more dreadful was repeated when Peter started from his seat and, snatching up the lamp, rushed out of the dungeon. Ferdinand, who was left in total darkness, followed to the door, which the affrighted Peter had not stopped to fasten, but which had closed, and seemed held by a lock that could be opened only on the outside. The sensations of Ferdinand thus compelled to remain in the dungeon are not to be imagined. The horrors of the night, whatever they were to be, he was to endure alone. By degrees, however, he seemed to acquire the valor of despair the sounds were repeated at intervals for near an hour when silence returned and remained undisturbed during the rest of the night ferdinand was alarmed by no appearance and at length overcome with anxiety and watching he sunk to repose on the following morning peter returned to the dungeon scarcely knowing what to expect yet expecting something very strange perhaps the murder perhaps the supernatural disappearance of his young lord Full of these wild apprehensions, he dared not venture that they were alone, but persuaded some of the servants, to whom he had communicated his terrors, to accompany him to the door. As they passed along, he recollected that in the terror of the preceding night he had forgot to fasten the door, and he now feared that his prisoner had made his escape without a miracle. He hurried to the door, and his surprise was extreme to find it fastened. It instantly struck him that this was the work of a supernatural power, when, on calling aloud, he was answered by a voice from within. His absurd fear did not suffer him to recognize the voice of Ferdinand, neither did he suppose that Ferdinand had failed to escape. He therefore attributed the voice to the being he had heard on the preceding night, and starting back from the door, fled with his companions to the great hall. There, the uproar occasioned by their entrance called together a number of persons, amongst whom was the Marquis, who was soon informed of the cause of alarm, with a long history of the circumstances of the foregoing night. At this information, the Marquis assumed a very stern look, and severely reprimanded Peter for his imprudence, at the same time reproaching the other servants with their undutifulness in thus disturbing his peace he reminded them of the condescension he had practised to dissipate their former terrors, and of the result of their examination. He then assured them that since indulgence had only encouraged intrusion, he would for the future be severe, and concluded with declaring that the first man who should disturb him with a repetition of such ridiculous apprehensions, or should attempt to disturb the peace of the castle by circulating these idle notions, should be rigorously punished and banished his dominions they shrunk back at his reproof and were silent bring a torch said the marquis and show me to the dungeon i will once more condescend to confute you they obeyed and descended with the marquis who arriving at the dungeon instantly threw open the door and discovered to the astonished eyes of his attendants ferdinand He started with surprise at the entrance of his father thus attended. The Marquis darted upon him a severe look, which he perfectly comprehended. "'Now,' cried he, turning to his people, "'what do you see, my son, whom I myself placed here, "'and whose voice, which answered to your calls, "'you have transformed into unknown sounds? "'Speak, Ferdinand, and confirm what I say.' Ferdinand did so. "'What dreadful spectre appeared to you last night?' resumed the Marquis, looking steadfastly upon him. "'Gratify these fellows with a description of it, for they cannot exist without something of the marvelous." "'None, my lord,' replied Ferdinand, who too well understood the manner of the Marquis. 'Tis well,' cried the Marquis, "'and this is the last time,' turning to his attendants, "'that your folly shall be treated with so much lenity.' he ceased to urge the subject, and forbore to ask Ferdinand even one question before his servants concerning the nocturnal sounds described by Peter. He quitted the dungeon with eyes steadily bent in anger and suspicion upon Ferdinand. The Marquis suspected that the fears of his son had inadvertently betrayed to Peter a part of the secret entrusted to him, and he artfully interrogated Peter with seeming carelessness concerning the circumstances of the preceding night. From him he drew such answers as honorably acquitted Ferdinand of indiscretion, and relieved himself from tormenting apprehensions. The following night passed quickly away. Neither sound nor appearance disturbed the peace of Ferdinand. The Marquis, on the next day, thought proper to soften the severity of his sufferings, and he was removed from his dungeon to a room strongly grated, but exposed to the light of day. Meanwhile, a circumstance occurred, which increased the general discord, and threatened Amelia with the loss of her last remaining comfort, the advice and consolation of Madame de Menon. The marchioness, whose passion for the Count de Veriza had at length yielded to absence, and the presence of present circumstances, now bestowed her smiles upon a young Italian cavalier, a visitor at the castle, who possessed too much of the spirit of gallantry, to permit a lady to languish in vain. The Marquis, whose mind was occupied with other passions, was insensible to the misconduct of his wife, who at all times had the address to disguise her vices beneath the gloss of virtue and innocent freedom. The intrigue was discovered by Madame, who having one day left a book in the oak parlour, returned thither in search of it. As she opened the door of the apartment, she heard the voice of the cavalier in passionate exclamation, and on entering discovered him rising in some confusion from the feet of the marchioness, who, darting at Madame a look of severity, arose from her seat. Madame, shocked at what she had seen, instantly retired, and buried in her own bosom that secret, the discovery of which would most essentially have poisoned the peace of the marquis. The marchioness, Who was a stranger to the generosity of sentiment which actuated madame de menon doubted not that she would seize the moment of retaliation and expose her conduct where most she dreaded it should be known the consciousness of guilt tortured her with incessant fear of discovery and from this period her whole attention was employed to dislodge from the castle the person to whom her character was committed in this it was not difficult to succeed for the delicacy of madame's feelings made her quick to perceive and to withdraw from a treatment unsuitable to the natural dignity of her character. She therefore resolved to depart from the castle, but, disdaining to take an advantage even over a successful enemy, she determined to be silent on that subject, which would instantly have transferred the triumph from her adversary to herself. When the Marquis, on hearing her determination to retire, earnestly inquired for the motive of her conduct, she forbore to acquaint him with the real one, and left him to incertitude and disappointment. To Amelia this design occasioned a distress which almost subdued the resolution of Madame. Her tears and entreaties spoke the artless energy of sorrow. In Madame she lost her only friend, and she too well understood the value of that friend to see her depart without feeling and expressing the deepest distress from a strong attachment to the memory of the mother madame had been induced to undertake the education of her daughters whose engaging dispositions had perpetuated a kind of hereditary affection regard for amelia and julia had alone for some time detained her at the castle but this was now succeeded by the influence of considerations too powerful to be resisted. As her income was small, it was her plan to retire to her native place, which was situated in a distant part of the island, and there take up her residence in a convent. Amelia saw the time of Madame's departure approach with increased distress. They left each other with a mutual sorrow, which did honor to their hearts. When her last friend was gone, Amelia wandered through the forsaken apartments "'where she had been accustomed to converse with Julia "'and to receive consolation and sympathy from her dear instructress, "'with a kind of anguish known only to those "'who had experienced a similar situation. "'Madame pursued her journey with a heavy heart, "'separated from the objects of her fondest affections "'and from the scenes and occupations "'for which long habit had formed claims upon her heart.' she seemed without interest and without motive for exertion the world appeared a wide and gloomy desert where no heart welcomed her with kindness no countenance brightened into smiles at her approach it was many years since she quitted collini and in the interval death had swept away the few friends she left there the future presented a melancholy scene but she had the retrospective years spent in honourable endeavour and strict integrity to cheer her heart and encouraged her hopes. But her utmost endeavors were unable to express the anxiety with which the uncertain fate of Julia overwhelmed her. Wild and terrific images arose to her imagination. Fancy drew the scene. She deepened the shades, and the terrific aspect of the objects she presented was heightened by the obscurity which involved them. End of chapter six.